Hi, I'm Victoria Starik Samolin, co-founder and director of strategy at the Council on Geostrategy, a new foreign affairs think tank based in the heart of London and dedicated to making the United Kingdom, as well as ever free and open nations, more united, stronger and greener. And this is Geostrategy 360, our fortnightly podcast which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. Over the past decade, relations between the United Kingdom and Vietnam have grown. A number of ministerial exchanges have taken place, most recently with Dominic Raab, the former British Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs, and Ben Wallace, the British Secretary of State for Defence, visiting Vietnam in June and July 2021. With the UK still towards the Indo-Pacific, the two countries share many interests in relation to the Southeast Asian region not least in upholding a stable and open international order and resisting geopolitical tensions. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by two wonderful experts, Dr. Bill Hayton and Professor John Hemmings, to discuss our bilateral relationship and its importance in the light of intensifying geopolitical competition on the global stage. Dr. Bill Hayton is an Associate Fellow at Chatham House and the author of two books on Vietnam, and we are also joined by Professor John Hemmings, who is our James Cook Associate Fellow at the Council on Geostrategy and also is a professor at the Daniel K. Asia-Pacific Center for Security Studies, a regional center for the United States Department of Defense and mission partner to Indo-PACOM. Um, however, I would like to note that he is not speaking in his official capacity today uh, as, as an employee at this institution and is speaking as a co-author of a report published by the Council on Geostrategy um, yesterday. Welcome to Geostrategy 360. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thank you. So, Bill, you have recently co-authored a policy paper together with John called Enhancing British-Vietnamese Relationship in a More Competitive Era, published by the Council. Could you please tell us more about our bilateral relationship with Vietnam and why is this relationship important to the United Kingdom? Well, the relationship has evolved uh, quite slowly at the beginning, but then more quickly uh, in the last few years. Uh, there was a lot of uh, baggage from the Cold War, uh, but by the sort of mid-90s, I think that was being put aside. Um, and even uh, in, in 2010, so 11 years ago, the UK and Vietnam signed what's called a strategic partnership, uh, pledging cooperation in seven different areas, ranging from trade uh, to uh, a little bit of security um, and environmental things like that. And that was refreshed last year um, and has become deeper. And we're sort of seeing, I think, uh, an increase in ambition. Um, both sides, I think, were a little cautious to begin with. Um, but now I think uh, there are enough areas of common interest that the two governments can, uh, can work together on, on quite a number of issues. John, I believe you probably will agree with the points made by Bill. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a real pleasure working with him on this project. Um, I think I knew going into the project how uh, how steady the relationship has been, um, but that it was going in you know a greater direction and and building. But it was only really uh, as we started to do interviews and chat with people. Uh, and, and did a, an online seminar to talk to experts that you realize there's this real appetite uh, for the relationship to be developed. Now, having said that, there's, you know, there's a certain level of realism 
was found in all of our interviews because the two countries are very uh, wide apart, both geographically and, and in terms of domestic system, but a, a lot of alignment over their uh, national interest. Wouldn't you say, Bill? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we should be clear-eyed that these are very different countries. They have different political systems uh, and different priorities, but there are areas of, of common interest. So this isn't to say there aren't going to be difficult conversations. I mean, there are differences over particularly freedom of expression uh, in Vietnam. Right. Um, and also the, the very difficult question of, uh, of human trafficking from Vietnam into the UK, which uh, was tragically brought to uh, everyone's attention by the deaths of the 39 Vietnamese two years ago. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, not, it's not easy, but there are enough areas of common interest, I think, that the two can work together. So let's take a step back, uh, because it's really important to talk about the history in order to understand where we currently stand and how the relationship might evolve in the future. So, Bill, could you please walk us through the timeline of our bilateral ties and how they have changed over the years? Well, uh, the UK formally established relations with uh, the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, you know, communist Vietnam, if you like, in, in 1973, after the, the peace accords there. Um, but really, uh, you, know, you had a sort of wartime situation and uh, up until, you know, sort of 75. And then uh, towards the end of the 70s, uh, you had the uh, invasion of Cambodia, um, uh, which only really came to an end in 1991. So for, for the whole of that period, UK-Vietnam relations were, were pretty thin. Uh, the embargo from the American side was only lifted uh, in the early 90s. But from 1998, I think the UK uh, became a, 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 you know, a, a major provider of aid to Vietnam. And it's been, you know, Vietnam's you know, development story has been incredibly successful since that time. Um, you know, its economy has grown hugely. It's lifted large numbers of people out of poverty. Um, and the UK saw itself as a partner in that. Um, and then when Vietnam achieved what's called lower middle income status, which uh, means they have a sort of per capita income of about $1,000 a year, that was back in the in 2010, the UK wound down its, uh, its aid relationship, but it became, I think, more of a political partner. And the UK has been doing things like um, training uh, Vietnamese uh, troops to take part in UN peacekeeping operations, um, they've been doing a lot of uh, support for things like uh, international law of the sea. Um, uh, and also they've been trying to sort of work, find out ways they can work together on challenges of climate change. Um, Vietnam uh, generates a lot of electricity from coal. Um, and obviously in the run up to the, uh, to the climate summit, uh, something that the UK is seeking is some sort of pledges on reductions of carbon emissions. And, and hopefully Vietnam as a country, which is also very badly affected by climate change, with lots of people living in low-lying areas, uh, has an interest in, in, in doing. And hopefully the UK and Vietnam can work together on, you know, things like offshore wind and, uh, and uh, renewable electricity and, and other ways. Um, John, um, I would like now to, to ask you a question about the tilt towards the Indo-Pacific and in particular, what does it mean in the context of our relationship with Vietnam? Because, well, now almost everyone knows this phrase, which has been, which was used so many times in the integrated review earlier this year. But what kind of changes might we expect to occur, if any, in this context? Well, it's a great question, and it absolutely uh, underpins, I think, the UK's approach to Vietnam. Uh, the Integrated Review, uh, which is it's not a perfect document, but I'm I'm a fan of its overall realism. 
um, essentially identifies the Indo-Pacific as an important uh, region for the, for the UK, both in terms of um, building the future of norms uh, and international rules, but also in terms of uh, growth and economic trade. And then finally, in terms of being a source of, of major geopolitical tension. So there's this uh, dichotomy in the UK's approach, which I, I think most people, I think Bill would agree, this this is how many are viewing the region. And so particularly in relation to the region's largest uh, power and fastest growing China, uh, both I think the UK and Vietnam uh, view China in very similar ways. That's to say uh, they both view China as a source of economic trade and investment, uh, an economic partner, uh, but they also have concerns about, you know, where is China's uh, power and influence going? How is it going to exert that, uh, particularly over sea lanes? Both countries rely uh, very much so on the South China Sea, although obviously the Vietnam much closer and a much greater reliance. Um, and so on the, on the geopolitical level, you see a little bit of that alignment between the two. Um, but there's other things as well that the Integrated Review brings out that Vietnam and the UK um, offer each other. So, for example, uh, you know, an entry point into ASEAN, that's something that the UK um, obviously has been working the ASEAN uh, diplomatic relationship for years. Um, but as many will know, you know, it's good to have inside states that are supportive and generally, you know, helpful in uh, pushing the UK into certain agreements. We know, you know, for example, the Vietnamese uh, have declared support for the UK's participation in uh, ADMM Plus. That's the ASEAN Defense Ministers Meeting Plus. Um, they've also indicated their uh, support for uh, Britain to accede to the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, another economic bloc aside from ASEAN. So there's these other parts, these other regional relationships that Vietnam, um, it can't guarantee British entry, but it can certainly facilitate. Yeah, I mean, I think looking at the, the wider region, I mean, there, there are three Commonwealth states in Southeast Asia, Malaysia, uh, Brunei and Singapore, uh, which have, you know, historically been the UK's sort of main relations. But I think, you know, the UK wants to broaden that. Um, and now that uh, the UK is outside the EU uh, and was granted what's called ASEAN dialogue partner status uh, surprisingly quickly, um, the uh, the UK wants to broaden its relations and so with ASEAN states. And so, you know, Vietnam, you know, will be a key part of that uh, along, I think, with, with uh, better relations with, with Indonesia as well. And as as Bill, you were saying um, just a moment ago, in terms of of uh, how the two view each other now, and how that historical relationship is developing to something more rich and more full, you know, we're definitely seeing uh, Vietnam's traditional omnipresent foreign policy uh, as looking at the UK as 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 an important global partner. You know, it's not just a European country in, in Southeast Asia that has a little bit of a presence, but they do view, um, you know, with real interest, the fact that it's on the United Nations Security Council. It is a nuclear power. It does have influence uh, uh, in, in in the global media and its messaging is very broad. And plus all the, the other issues that, uh, the other areas where Britain has some sort of influence. So in, in many ways, it's, it's not a perfect relationship, but as I think you'll agree, Bill, as we were interviewing, you just found all these different touch points 
that were surprisingly, um, you know, good connections between the two. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of came to realize actually that, you know, Britain, although it's far away, you know, it has things to offer to Vietnam. And it's this isn't just a, a piece of paper. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the, you mentioned, you know, most of the points there, but uh, one other thing actually, which is interesting is that because of the UK's uh, alliance with the US, that's also seen as something that Vietnam's interested in, you know, that if you can kind of, you know, yeah. that it also, you know, helps Vietnam's relationship with the USA to have a good relationship with, with the UK. Um, and uh, therefore, I guess, you know, Australia and, and the UK's other partners. Um, so the Vietnamese do think about these things in, in quite a sophisticated way, I think. Bill, can I ask you something before, Victoria, you come back of in? Of course. Go ahead, John. Wasn't didn't you think it was interesting the nuance you know the China issue the South China Sea issue it's there um, but it's not the central thing driving the two together and nor do they want it to be overemphasized yeah I mean I think when you come to look at Vietnam's foreign policy you've got to think about the the Communist Party as being the main point of reference as opposed to say the the government and the Communist Party you know to be cynical its main interest is in staying in power um, and so there. I mean, it's always going to have a close relationship with the Chinese Communist Party on the other side of the border, because it knows that ultimately the Chinese Communist Party is quite, you know, wants to have a communist Vietnam next to it, um, rather than, say, a kind of a, a Western, you know, uh, style power. So there's always going to be a special relationship between the two. And yet at the same time, Vietnam as a state has all of these concerns about China. You know, it's too big. Uh, it's growing too fast. Its military is, you know, is large. Um, uh, and then it has these designs on the South China Sea um, and a kind of a sort of domineering attitude to the region. And so you know, the number two thing after staying in power uh, is that Vietnam wants strategic autonomy. It wants to be able to make its own decisions, uh, follow its own foreign and domestic policies. Um, and therefore, it's realized that it needs two things for that. One, it needs economic growth in order to kind of have the internal resources uh, to, to run its own development and, uh, and, and satisfy the needs of its people and be independent. And it needs lots of other friends uh, aside from China. So it's never going to publicly come out and say, we're worried about China. Uh, we need you to be kind of a partner. But that's always going to be there. That, that's the underlying uh, theme of uh, you know, what Vietnam calls its omnidirectional or multidirectional foreign policy. Uh, so... Um, I think we're going to see uh, Vietnam, you know, you know, kind of continuing to to build this network of relations with as many states as possible. Um, but by forming uh, this strategic partnership with the UK, and the UK is just one of many countries that the U that Vietnam has these kind of documents with. Uh, I think it sort of shows a kind of a long term process of of building up a relationship, starting with. You know, not particularly sensitive issues, but gradually moving into into more sensitive areas. Following up on your point you've just made, Bill, um, as a middle power with a larger and more ambitious neighbor, Vietnam continues to hedge against regional tensions by searching for some sort of equilibrium um, and balance in its network of uh, partners uh, and allies across the international system. So who are these key partners and what forms of cooperation are we talking about? 
Uh, well, Vietnam uh, frames its uh, foreign policy with some key documents, and there are three countries with which it has what it calls uh, strategic cooperative or cooperative strategic partnerships, and they are China, Russia, and India. And those are countries which Vietnam historically has had very close uh, relationships with, not necessarily meaning they agree on everything, of course. But Vietnam, for example, gets most of its weapons supplies from Russia. Um, it had a lot of political support from India as a member of the non-aligned movement um, back in the past. And of course, it has this very complex relationship with, with China, uh, both friend and, um, and source of concern. Um, the next level down uh, is an extensive uh, strategic partnership, which Vietnam has with Japan. And Japan has increasingly been a, an important partner to, to Vietnam uh, economically. Lots of uh, Japanese companies uh, have uh, production or assembly plants uh, in, in Vietnam. And Japan has provided an awful lot of aid for you know, kind of road building and things like that. Um, uh, and then the next level down is the strategic uh, partnership uh, with, uh, with which uh, uh, and Vietnam has strategic partnerships with, with many countries, and the UK is one of those. Um, and they're not sort of like a formula template document. They, they, they vary from, from country to country. Um, and so, you know, the, the two sides look at, you know, what, 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 uh, you know, what works for them both. And with the UK one, there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of trade and finance. Vietnam sees the UK as a source of investments and, uh, um, and, and banking expertise and that kind of thing, as well as, um, you know, kind of environmental questions and, and then moving more into the sort of strategic and security uh, uh, aspects as well. Um, and of course, you know, that, that that's, tends to be the stuff that gets the, the attention, um, but it's, it's, a, um, it's you know, only part of how Vietnam, I think, conceives um, these, uh, these, these partnership documents. John, would you like to add anything to this point? Yes, um, I, I think Bill's framed it really well. Um, one of the things I think, uh, I'm not sure if, if Bill thought this as well, but I found it surprising uh, in a sense how regular the drumbeat of uh, military cooperation was. Um, you know, from 2010, when the strategic partnership was signed, we've had a defense cooperation MOU signed. We've had ship visits like the HMS Albion and HMS Enterprise uh, go to Vietnam. We've had, of course, the UK Defense Secretary visit this year. Uh, the U UK Vietnam Maritime Security Partnership agreed, and then uh, the HMS Richmond go. So th there's a good drumbeat there. But as as Bill's mentioned, and as I think the report makes really clear, um, this is not a you know military only relationship. Strategic means uh, across multiple sectors and, and multiple uh, areas, and I think seeing uh, the the big delegation coming to the climate change conference, the COP26. Uh, on the Vietnamese side uh, is a, a real indication uh, of that and a real indication of the desire by the Vietnamese to send a strong signal to the UK, send a, send a strong signal to UK investment and, and business, but also on the, on the climate change side, you know, whether they can agree on something within the UK, within the UK context, making a kind of maybe a diplomatic or political overture in that sense. The UK, of course, still has to recognize uh, that Vietnam is and will remain a communist party-led state with all that that entails. And it's unlikely to transform its governance or its international orientation in the short or medium term. So how should we deal with this factor? Might it cause some tensions in the development of our relationship in the years and decades to come? And if yes, then, then how and how we can mitigate this? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there will be tensions. Um, and, and the question, of course, which every diplomat you know, working on this issue you know, has to think about is, um, you know, what's more effective? Is it to kind of grandstand and, and, and stop relations or is it to engage? Um, and there are things to be said on, on, on both sides. Um, I mean, there are a number of people who are in jail in Vietnam simply really for expressing points of view um, uh, and, you know, or, or, or doing journalism that the, the, the authorities don't like. Um, uh, and, and that, you know, is something that which British diplomats raise from, uh, along with diplomats from other countries, you know, quite, you know, quite a lot. They do so behind closed doors, I guess, because they've come to the conclusion that sort of embarrassing Vietnam uh, doesn't uh, make uh, the, the results come any quicker. Um, at the same time, of course, there are, you know, bigger questions about the shape of the international system and the UK feels that it needs to work with all states on this. Um, I mean, we can go around the, the 10 members of ASEAN and we can say, you know, they range from, you know, an absolute monarchy uh, in, uh, in Brunei uh, to a very scrappy democracy um, in, in the Philippines. Um, and the other states kind of, you know, um, Know, feature on and on a scale in between, so so none of them are perfect, and yet we all have to we have to work with all of them. So um, you know, it's always going to be a, a you know a kind of a, a trade off. Um, there's always going to be you know, difficult discussions. Um, but I, 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 from what I've you know encountered in in the, you know in my experience and in in my research for writing this report, is that you know diplomats in in, in the British diplomats in in Hanoi are well aware of this, and they. They don't shy away from from the difficult issues, um, uh, and you know, short of you know, you know, advocating for regime change in Vietnam, and you know that doesn't tend to go very well, in, you know, historically, um, you know, we have to work with the situation as it is. John, yeah, I I think this is one of the more fascinating questions that. Um, undergirds this entire project, and, and indeed undergirds the um, the, bi the future of the bilateral relationship. So, I, I for one, as an as a political scientist, very much believe in Western values, human rights, and I believe that they they are an important part of our arsenal in terms of our our carrying out our foreign policy uh, abroad. But the interesting thing is that national interest, of, or, or there's always going to be a tension between our values and our national interest. Not always, but often as not. And um, you know, the fact that Vietnam is supportive of the rules-based order, but it is a communist party state, I think there's a, a, a incredible tension there. Um, I think there are significant differences from the Communist Party of China with Xi Jinping in charge, uh, and a, and a also, you know, traditional historical hegemonic power like China, the CCP is in many ways, the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation has been about uh, bringing China to the top uh, table in, in Asia, whereas Vietnam has never traditionally or historically held that sort of hegemonic position. So, yeah, I, I agree with Bill. There's tensions there. I think both sides seem very realistic about how they're going to deal with them. There seems to be a format for raising these issues within the relationship at the diplomatic level. Um, and it, you know, it's something that we'll have to kind of bump along uh, as the relationship Yeah, I mean, I think, progresses. you know, uh, politically, you know, we should say that Vietnam sees a strong relationship with a country like the UK as a means of, uh, you know, some kind of 
anchor for the for the Communist Party in the sense that uh, you know having a, a positive relationship with the UK on on all of these other areas um, means that the UK has zero interest in you know trying to overthrow the Communist Party. Not that that's a realistic thing that the UK would ever try and do, but it's a kind of reassurance for the party. So so things like the strategic partnership have a domestic. Uh, political value as well um but uh you know kind of it's in the in the sort of broader sense you know uh this is the world you know you know that the, the we live in that the, the um the the report is entitled you know you know in an era of strategic competition um and so you know kind of you know, we kind of have to work with the world as we find it john what, what do you think yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, when it comes to geopolitical alignment, I think the South China Sea drives us together. But as we look few, uh, forward towards um, digital standards and how data is used by authoritarian powers versus democratic powers at home, I think we may see uh, in future years some divergences between ourselves and the Vietnamese. And we can see that already a little bit in the sense that their uh, national cybersecurity law uh, is very similar to that uh, and, and, in fact, is modeled on that uh, of China. And so it's, you know, it's not going to be a perfect relationship. Um, but then again, as you've mentioned, Bill, there's a framework for discussing these divergences when they come. Yeah, I think you're right that, you know, some of these issues are, are going to get more difficult as time goes by. So, Bill and John, in the policy paper you, you recently co-authored, you offer multiple suggestions as to how our relationship with Vietnam can be enhanced. Um, could you please elaborate a bit further on this? And also, could you please highlight the key areas for our bilateral cooperation in the years to come? Uh, from the top priority one to to the least important one at this stage in your view. <laughs> well, we should say that there are about ten pages of these recommendations, so I don't think we're going to read them all out. So the, the report is available online if people want to read all the details. Um, I mean, I think there are some near term things uh, that Vietnam is looking for help with, and, and then there are kind of uh, longer term ambitions, uh, some of which are kind of big picture stuff and some of which are, are, are quite precise and, um, and uh, you know, could be achieved with, with, with lesser effort. So, you know, speaking as we are in late 2021, you know, COVID is still the number one uh, issue for, for Vietnam. Uh, they, uh, they've, they've kept a lid on the epidemic for, you know, the first year, but then it sort of really has exploded, in, you know, since uh, sort of mid-2021. Um, they're also... Uh, you know, increasingly concerned about the impact of climate change and what that's going to be. Um, uh, but uh, kind of, you know, uniting those two is, is, is the economic question. You know, how are they going to bounce back from the from the effects of COVID? Um, what are they going to do to kind of uh, revive their economy? So sort of encouraging trade um, uh, and, uh, you know, in, uh, between the two countries is, is, is going to be a big priority. So those, I think, are the kind of the, you know, the immediate ones. Um, uh, the kind of things that, you know, governments are, you know, find it relatively easy to do as in sort of, uh, you know, sending a, a, a ship to go and visit uh, Vietnam, you know, that, that, that can be done. It's, you know, encouraging your businesses to go and be more active in trade uh, is something that, uh, you know, governments can't necessarily just flick a switch on. But they, that's something that the UK definitely needs to work on is to, um, uh, particularly now that we're outside the EU and, you know, needs to find new markets, you know, it needs to encourage British businesses to take more risks and get involved uh, with Vietnam. But there, we also go into a lot more things which are sort of state to state. So we suggest things, for example, 
uh, like a, a a defense and security roadmap where the two governments can agree something you know a, a bit more formal in terms of a longer term vision which might involve things like uh, capacity building for um, uh, in the maritime sphere and these don't have to be things you know that uh, are about you know war fighting they can be about uh, understanding the ocean hydrography they could be about uh, fisheries resources uh, they could be about um, medicine and uh, humanitarian assistance and you know the kind of the softer end of the spectrum um, at, at this point john where would you where would you go yeah i i uh coming in right on that maritime side um there was a very great suggestion that the both uh states could establish uh, you know, Coast Guard attaches in their respective embassies. There seemed to be, especially amongst our Vietnamese interviewees, a preference to avoid hard, uh, you know, war fighting type of exchanges, uh, you know, Navy to Navy. Of course, these things are going to happen, but not to overplay them. Uh, Coast Guard looks a little less uh, military, looks a little bit more civilian. Um, there could also be cooperation on gray zone study groups, you know, um, both states ultimately will have to deal with a whole range of uh, actors, both civilian, military, and Coast Guard in contested waters like the South China Sea. Um, I think we could learn a lot from the Vietnamese, and they could probably uh, learn a lot from us. We uh, definitely could also work that into the information space. Um, both states will have been at the receiving end of information operations, um, so there could be uh, for example, a, a working group that looks at how do we do strategic messaging in the maritime sphere, um, you know, when the two countries are working closely together. So those are kind of on the, on the security and, uh, you know, military side. And then in terms of um, going over to the economic side, um, you know, as you mentioned previously, Bill, you know, foster that uh, investment. If the Vietnamese want uh, that investment, then they'll have to create those those incentives and remove those barriers that UK companies uh, are having trouble with. Um, I thought there was on the people to people side, there is a looming opportunity. And this was quite an interesting one as we've seen Xi Jinping and China uh, really get rid of uh, a lot of the um, private education uh, and tutoring companies uh, over the summer uh, during this kind of regulatory onslaught that he's carried out. Um, you know, British companies that went into the Chinese market to to work in that space are really suffering. We have a growing Vietnamese middle class, very much looking for uh, education for the next generation of Vietnamese uh, leaders. So, you know, why not uh, begin, you know, either British university expansion programs or campuses in Vietnam uh, or such like. So, yeah, there's a lot of, of great stuff in there. Um, like Bill said, we can't we can't list them all. We I encourage you to read the report and uh, read them for yourself. And we put them in uh, as ever the most boring uh, but reliable uh, dime matrix, just because it's it's easy uh, to to quantify these things by uh, diplomatic information, military and economic. Uh, so when you read the report, uh, you will find them uh, assembled under those headings. Bill and John, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and expertise um, today and for taking part in today's episode. And thank you so much to our listeners. The policy paper called Enhancing British-Vietnamese Relationship in a More Competitive Era can be found on our website uh, and uh, downloaded from there. 
This is GeoStrategy 360, the Council on GeoStrategy podcast, which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. You can listen to GeoStrategy 360 on all major podcast platforms, and you can find all our podcasts on our website, www.geostrategy.org.uk slash podcasts.